Well, good morning to each of you this morning. It truly is a blessing to be with you. And I trust that each one of us will be able to hear God speaking to us as we look into his word. I have a question that I'd like to ponder as I begin. Something that I'd thought about um, preparation for this. And the question is, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I would imagine that there would be different answers, different ideas of what what that means, and especially um, broader um, Christians uh, in in our country have different ideas of what what that means. Maybe some people, it's going to church, getting to church as much as you can. That's, That's what it means to be a Christian. Or maybe some people it's about, you know, doing more good things and bad things and try to, you know, earn God's favor. Maybe some people might have that uh, thought. Or maybe some people it is theology and understanding doctrines and going through the Bible and connecting all the dots and knowing. They can list off all the, the doctrines and, and that's a, a good Christian will know the doctrines. And maybe we would have a different answer for that. I was pondering this question, and my conclusion, that, that I, my, my answer, is basically, what are we doing with Jesus? When you think about the Bible, is a, a, a unified book, and it tells us a story about Jesus. It centers on Jesus, what Jesus did, and the Old Testament points ahead to his life and the Gospels tell the account of his life and the rest of the New Testament explains that, how it applies to us. But the life of Jesus is central to Christianity. You can think about the work of salvation that he provided, uh, his resurrection. So I I think our world today needs Jesus. Um, and, And as we look at this focus on Jesus, the question remains, what are we doing with Jesus? Are we accepting him? And uh, if, if that's our response, um, is it, you know, that's nice that Jesus did this for me and I'm just going to continue on my life and uh, do, do what I want to do. The Bible isn't a book that just tells us what Jesus did. It's not just a book of doctrine and a a list of of facts, but it's a book that actually asks something from us. It calls us to make some changes sometimes. So they think about this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What are we doing with Jesus? Um, Or we, we talk about the lordship of Jesus and With Jesus as Lord, basically it means that Jesus can tell us what to do. A Lord is one who has authority. And if Jesus is our Lord, he can tell us what to do. So are we willing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus? There's a well-known verse that comes to my mind as I was preparing for this. And it's from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He says, why do you call me Lord? but don't do the things that I say. 
And another way you could say that is you really didn't mean what you were saying when you called me Lord. So this morning, what I want to do, I'm going to start a series of going through the Gospel of Luke and looking at the teachings of Jesus, with Jesus being the central figure in, in Christianity, in the Bible, and this uh, um, question of, of what does it mean to be a Christian is what are we doing with Jesus? I want to look at what Jesus actually taught. What did he teach us? And what are the, the values that he gave? Um, so I'd like to begin a series in, in Luke. It's actually something that I had started in South Dakota and uh, got partway through it. Um, so I'm going to continue that here in the study of, of Luke, and I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go, um, but I'd like to look through uh, the, the book of Luke here and just look at, at what Jesus taught. And I'd like this theme of the Lordship of Jesus to be central as, as we think about what Jesus taught, to have in the back of our minds, Jesus as Lord. This is what our Lord is saying. Are we doing what he says? What are we doing with Jesus? So I'd like to start in Luke chapter 6. So it's not the, the beginning of Luke, and I'm not sure, it probably won't be verse by verse, so I'll just pick out different uh, passages to go through. But I want to start in Luke chapter 6 and look at the account of the Beatitudes, Luke's uh, version of, of the Beatitudes. So I'll read uh, starting in verse 20 and go through verse 26 uh, of Luke 6, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their prophets, did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. I think I'll stop there. The account of the Beatitudes. And there's a parallel account of the Beatitudes in Matthew, Matthew 5. Uh, we see... Uh, his rendition of the Beatitudes. He has a couple more, and I might reference some of his wording uh, throughout this here. But what is a Beatitude? And if your Bible has section headings, likely it'll say the Beatitudes. What is a Beatitude? And basically it's a fancy word that means one who is blessed, or the state of being blessed. So Jesus is giving us a list of certain conditions, that if we are in those conditions, we're blessed. And we see the, the list that he gives is not something we typically think of as 
blessings. And may I suggest that Jesus is giving us values of the kingdom of heaven with these beatitudes. What has value and what is a blessing? And these values that he gives, these blessings are opposite of what we usually think of as blessings. When we think of something that has value, something that's worthwhile and that's worth pursuing, we usually don't think of these things that Jesus lists here. When you hear somebody say, you are blessed, what are they usually referring to? And I think this is at the root of what Jesus is getting at here. What we see in our human perspective as a blessing or as being successful isn't really that important in the big picture. And there's an analogy that I heard, I think it was David Bersow in his book, Secrets of the Kingdom. I think that's where I read this. He used the analogy of some people playing a game of Monopoly. And there's some people who are just really doing very well in this game of Monopoly. And, and their father, or um, probably their father, would, would come in, observe this game of, of Monopoly, and, and he gives them an offer. He says, hey, I will trade. If you give me all your assets in Monopoly, your money, your properties, I'll give you real money in return for that. And... These guys are playing Monopoly, and, and they consider this, and, and you know, to do that, they would have to give up their good spot in, in the game. Trading it in for, for something that's, that's worthwhile. And it all depends what you're looking at. If your focus is on that game, there's no way you would want to do that. If you're doing well, that I might uh, reference that analogy as we look through these here. So, what does it mean to be blessed? These Beatitudes get their name from the blessing that's given. So I want to think, first of all, about what it means to be blessed. And the way that I've found to be helpful in thinking about this is to, to see it as having an advantageous position. To be fortunate and Jesus is setting up a playing field and he's laying out what a good position is. He says in life, this is a good position to be in. You are advantaged in this position. You're blessed. So you know the world has its own playing field and there's different values, there's different goals, there's a different focus. Um, and there's advantageous positions that go along with the worldly playing field. But Jesus is laying out an entirely different uh, playing field. And there's a different goal. It's a different focus. It's like that Monopoly game. It all depends what you're looking at. Are you looking at winning that Monopoly game? Or are you looking at something that's, that's really worthwhile? So I'd like to go through these here, and, and I think an important uh, note is uh, right at the beginning in verse 20. He says he, he lifted his eyes on his disciples. So let's remember, as we look through these, this is directed at Jesus' disciples, those who are following Jesus. 
He says, verse, uh, verse 20, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, the, the first one he gives here just, just doesn't line up with our understanding of being blessed. When's the last time you heard somebody say, you are blessed to be poor? You're fortunate. And on the other hand, how often have we heard somebody talk about how much God has blessed them when they're referencing their financial success or, or riches? Now, I understand we, we want to be thankful for what we have, and we want to be grateful. We recognize that what we have comes from God, and there's a proper attitude of thankfulness that is appropriate with that. But is that really a blessing? And honestly, I, I feel terrible even saying this. Um, am I somehow suggesting that financial stability for ourselves and our children is not a blessing? But Jesus is saying this, blessed are you poor. And I just want to understand what Jesus is saying. Does he really mean what he says? Or is there some hidden meaning that we have to interpret, we have to look? Well, when you look at it, he actually didn't mean being poor. And we might go to Matthew's account. And Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we like that sound a little bit better. And it says, well, it actually isn't about being poor. It's about being poor in spirit. And it's an internal condition. We need to have a humble attitude. And, uh, you know, I would say that's, that's absolutely true. We need that as well. And I think Matthew had that uh, um, uh, goal that he wanted to communicate uh, with, with his wording, poor in spirit. And absolutely. Um, we need that poor in spirit attitude. Psalm 51 says, A broken and a contrite spirit God will not despise. But what about what he says here in Luke? Uh, how Luke translates it. Uh, Blessed are you poor. As I look at the context here, I think the best understanding is the most simple one that Jesus is actually talking about poor people. And I think it fits in with Jesus' other teachings about wealth as well. There's a lot of financial um, caution that Jesus gives. And, and actually, I think in, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So I think to say that somehow it's different here is, is missing the point. There's enough of other teachings about uh, riches, wealth, to make uh, a, a literal physical meaning apply here. Blessed are you poor. There's a study done by a psychologist, Ed Diener, and he showed that happiness is not linked to wealth or money. And I'll quote a little bit of what he says I'm not sure when this study was done, but he says, though money helps people lead more comfortable lives, it doesn't necessarily contribute to the moments in life that bring happiness, which tend to come from social interactions and activities, not from accumulating material goods. And he goes on to say, when you look at the entire world, money does matter, but it almost doesn't matter at all for enjoying life. So, secular study, 
And this is not a, a Christian perspective. It's just psychologists looking at facts of life. And they came to the con same conclusion that Jesus taught. Blessed are the poor. It's something that we know that money can't buy happiness, but so often it seems like we, we act like we don't believe it. And I want to add, it's not just about being poor. It's not that every poor person is blessed or, or happy. That's just this inherent gift to be poor. There are poor people who are not happy, and there are poor people who are just as greedy and, and centered on earthly things as, as the rich can be. But again, thinking about it as an advantage because of what it does to our focus. Far too often, riches get in the way of our loyalty to Christ. It's a distraction. And I think Jesus knew this well, and that's, that's where this comes from. He's saying riches are just going to weigh you down. It's going to be a distraction. The poor will not have that. And that's an advantage. Fortunate. You're fortunate to be there. And I had to think, with that Monopoly game, you know, the person who's winning the game has the most to give up. But the person who's losing, you know, there's, why not? There's, we're, I'm, I'm losing anyway. Not much to give up. Blessed are the poor. The sooner we can put our possessions and money in their proper place, no matter how much we have, the sooner we can receive true blessing and happiness. Because it's our focus that really matters. What are we looking at? The reward. Yours is the kingdom of God. There's an inheritance that, that goes along with that. The second one, verse 21. Blessed are you that hunger now. And this is one that Matthew also gives, and it's more of a spiritual aspect to it. He says, hunger and thirst after righteousness. And Matthew is pointing to more of an internal heart condition. What are we yearning for in life? Are we hungering and yearning for righteousness? And you think about what people hunger for today. What are people seeking after? What's their appetite? What do people want to consume? Entertainment and hobbies, or maybe maybe influence. You know, with the YouTube channel, all you, all you need to do is get a, a YouTube channel started, and, and you can be an influencer. And uh, some people desire that, have an appetite for that. But what do we, as Jesus' disciples, hunger for? Is it for righteousness? You know, that's that's Matthew's angle. And I think that's a very applicable interpretation as you look at what Matthew says. But here again, Luke does not mention this, this spiritualized version, this internal heart condition. He just says, blessed are you who hunger now. And I think if we are going to take a simple reading of the first one, blessed are you poor, I think it follows that we should do the same for this one. So how can going hungry be a blessing. And here again, I think we need to look at this through the lens of advantage. You are blessed or fortunate to hunger now because you're in an advantageous position, because you're able to focus more clearly on the proper goal. And my mind goes to the discipline of fasting. 
and it's something that's, that's difficult to do. You know, we have to choose to go without. That's, that's fasting. Some people don't have that option. It's just a given. There's, there's no meal today and they go hungry. You know, for us, we have to choose to do that. And with fasting, there's a spiritual awareness that comes along with that. You know, there's not merit in just going hungry. There's people fast for different reasons. Sometimes it's health reasons or I'm not sure what all the reasons might be. But if we are fasting to draw closer to God and out of a desire to learn more truth and to seek God's will, there's a blessing there and a spiritual awareness that comes with that. So as much as we might want to look for a spiritual reading of this, like Matthew, I, I think the truth is, is in the physical as well. Blessed are you who hunger. Advantage. It's a blessing. If we are Jesus' disciple, we need to remember that. This is for Jesus' followers. The blessing because of the help that it gives to our proper focus in life. The next one that he gives, verse 21, blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. And when we read this, we again wonder, how can it be a blessing to weep? What, what does Jesus mean by this? How can a person who weeps be blessed? And, and we can again go to a spiritual application, and I think each one has that spiritual application as well as a, a physical application. And I think Luke seems to be drilling down right into the, the physical um, understanding of these. But I do want to think about a spiritual understanding. How could we understand this spiritually? Weeping, um, our heart condition. What do we weep over? What do we grieve over? Are we weeping over sin? You know, our own sin? A godly sorrow that leads to repentance? Is that true? For, for our own sin and also for the sins of society and just the many horrible things that we see. Is our heart grieved over that? Is our heart broken by what God's heart is broken over? And I think there's a, a spiritual understanding that we can we look at that uh, weeping. But again, with this context, I think uh, we need to consider the physical, um, actual weeping people as well. So how can a person weeping be a blessing? You think about uh, the person in, in that scenario likely is going through some hardship in life, a trial. And it seems to be common to everybody. At some point or other, we face trials, things that just bring us to tears. And how can that be a blessing? I believe that's, that's what Jesus is, is saying here. Blessed are you who weep now. You know, it seems harsh to tell somebody who's weeping that this is a blessing, and we just, we just don't do that. My mind goes to James, I think it's James 1, where he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And he points to the character development that happens from trials. And he says, count it all joy to go through trials because of this character development. Look what's happening through this. Try to see what is, is being developed 
becoming a stronger person and developing our character, becoming more resilient. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. There is growth and there's resilience that is, is built through trials and through weeping. And it's something we don't, we don't like to go through, but it, it, uh, <clears throat> it does um, change us and, and make us stronger. And this is true for those who turn to God through trials. And again, it's Jesus' disciples. It's not just everyone who goes through a trial or, or who's weeping, but those who maintain a godly perspective through that. And, and there's an advantage, um, spiritual advantage, because of what we can see through that. And I think it's also a re- reminder that even though we face times in life that bring us to tears, there is coming a time when we are going to laugh. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. In Revelation 21, verse 4, talking about Jesus, he will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more sorrow or crying or pain. The former things are all passed away. So we can look ahead to that time when we will laugh, and the former things will be passed away. It's through trials that we face that God shapes us and helps us grow. And can we see the blessing in that? And the last one here, verse 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. And four different things he gives. Hate you and separate you from their company. Reproach you. Cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And this last one, honestly, it it just makes the least amount of sense. How can we be blessed when we're hated? And he even takes it a step further. In verse 23, he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. So how is this a blessing? And a small experience that I had, very insignificant, but it it came to my mind as, as I was studying Thinking about this, having your name cast out as evil, um, there's a Christmas tree farm not, close, uh, not far from where we live. And for years, you know, we never went there. It was not much. You'd get Christmas trees, and we saw the lines different times. Um, but <clears throat> there was a uh, couple years ago, they started adding more things, and they had like a Christmas decoration room and they added a meat market, and there was a petting zoo for uh, some farm animals that you could go through. And, and we were looking at this, and uh, thought, you know, it sounds interesting. We'll go check it out. And we go there, and I've seen a couple of different things and th- that they had set up. And we weren't sure where this, this petting zoo was for the, the farm animals, and that's the main reason that we came and looking around. and. Found, I, I saw a guy who looked like he knew what he was doing, and uh, I'll, I'll go ask him, uh, you know, how, how we get there, and, and I said, hey, you know, where's the petting zoo? How do we get there? And, and right away he looks at me and he says, are you buying a tree? And I said, well, no, we're, we're just here for, you know, the other stuff that you have. And he said, oh, so you're, you're a freeloader. And he said, yeah, I, I know the Mennonites. Yeah, I know exactly what you're here for. You're just here to get free stuff. 
and I forget what all he said, but just, I forget what I said too, um, but I, I, I know I was not leaping for joy um, when that happened. And, and again, I, I give that as a very insignificant incident. I mean, it it's really is nothing compared to what some people go through for the name of Jesus. But it gave me a small, a very small taste of what it's like to have your name cast out as evil. And fairly or unfairly, uh, it was a, a reputation that, that he saw. But my, my association, he, he didn't like anything of it. But like I said, it's, it's insignificant compared to what some people go through. <clears throat> but our first instinct is to defend ourselves. And we want to, well, no, that's, that's not how it is. You, you don't know me. And, but Jesus doesn't say anything about that. <clears throat> Jesus is telling us that <clears throat> this is something we should be happy to endure. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy when you suffer for my name's sake. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a hard teaching to wrap our minds around. How can this be a blessing and, and persecution that's just bound to happen? Um, we don't like the, the thought of our rights being taken away, but, but Jesus is just saying, you, know, you can give that up. It's the same thing that happened to God's prophets in the Old Testament. The people who were speaking truth, their names were cast out as evil. And they were separated from the company. They were reviled. The same thing that happened to the prophets, to Jesus, happened to Jesus as well. His apostles faced the same treatment. And it follows through to kingdom Christians throughout history. Harold Martin, in his commentary, said, persecution is bound to happen because nearly every action of the godly Christian life is a silent condemnation of the ungodly lives of others around us. Their troubled consciences build up in them a feeling of hatred. Becoming a true follower of Jesus does not mean an easy life where everyone admires you. It's not a means of escaping trouble but rather a sure means of getting into trouble. So the point is, when we face persecution for Jesus' sake, it's something to rejoice about. It's a blessing. Well, you might not understand it. That's, that's what the apostles, we read about them in Acts 5. He said, they, it says they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So this is what Jesus taught. It's not something we hear a lot about. It's not something we like to hear. But it comes from Jesus. So along with these beatitudes that he gives, as four beatitudes, he also gives the opposite of each, each one of these. Verse 24 through 26, he gives what you might call the woes. Woe to you. So what does he mean by woe? And the word that, that is used could also be translated alas, or you could think of it as how dreadful, how unfortunate. 
the opposite of being blessed or, or fortunate. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on these. Basically, it's just the opposite of, of the blessings. And he says, woe to you who are rich. It's the opposite of poor. And uh, I think we need to take these in the same way that we understood the Beatitudes, thinking of advantage versus disadvantage. Um, just like we're not blessed just for being poor, we're not pronounced unfortunate or woeful just for being rich, but rather being in this position and the others that he mentions makes it that much harder to maintain our proper focus. We're at a disadvantaged position. Far too often the rich person will tend to trust in his riches rather than trusting in God. The self-sufficient attitude that goes along with that. And I think Jesus knows our tendency that far too often we don't know how to properly handle wealth. So the world would see riches as being a blessing but Jesus, he, he knows the grip that it has and the, the distraction that it can be. And he says we're unfortunate to be there. Do we have that same mentality? The next one, bluster, or woe to you who are full, those who are satisfied, who have all they need. And it's the opposite of those who hunger. And Jesus just turning the tables on our natural way of thinking. We all want to take care of ourselves. We want to have all our wants and desires and needs filled. And that's the worldly value system. Get what you can for yourself. Fill yourself. And you need more and more. But Jesus is condemning that attitude, that self-seeking attitude, because when we're in that position, we far too easily forget about God. So if we're at that point where all of our desires are met, we are full we need to beware. We are in danger of suffering want in the next life. Woe to you who laugh. <clears throat> and to be sure, Jesus is not saying we should never laugh. I think laughter is, is healthy, it's good. It's part of our social interaction. But it goes along with the other points in that if everything in life is going well and life is just one big party, we should stop and consider. Is, is this... Um, where I should be. Uh, what am I doing to serve God? And again, it's not that we shouldn't laugh, uh, but it's, life isn't about entertaining ourselves. It seems to be the focus of so many people, entertainment-driven, um, but it's not about making ourselves happy, but making God happy with the way that we live. The last one, woe to you when all men shall speak well of you. When everyone speaks highly of us, does it make us more humble. And we need to remember that true Christians are going to face opposition. And if we're not facing opposition, maybe we need to ask ourselves, am I really living the way God wants me to? Am I watering down his teachings? Living according to Jesus' teachings is not going to make us popular or famous. And if, if that's true of us, we should beware. Um, there's one story I would like to share. Um, it, it relates to, to our people. Um, you know, I heard this a number of years ago, and it, it's very sobering. Um, and, and when I heard this story, my mind went immediately to this verse. Woe to you when all men shall speak well of you. Regarding the Mennonites in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. And 
they were prosperous, they, they were doing well, and they had different values that we would find in common. Strong work ethic and uh, prosperous, and you know, they oftentimes would marry within the church. And probably unintentionally so doing, they would preserve uh, um, ethnic uh, bloodline, so to speak. And this was during the rise of Adolf Hitler as he came to power. And he's observing the Mennonites. And, and one of the central um, core values, I guess, of the Nazi party and Adolf Hitler's uh, agenda was this racial purity. And he was trying to figure out how to you know, find that, that perfect uh, super race of, of humans. And he's looking at the Mennonites and he says, there, there's statements that he made just showering praise on the Mennonites for how good they're doing at racial purity. He said they know how to, they know how to accomplish this. And the Mennonites were not used to hearing, you know, this, this type of praise, and, and it, it got to them. And they started changing some of their statements regarding, you know, separation of church and state, and they became more focused on maintaining that. You know, it was unintentional before, but now they tried it because they, they heard this uh, praise coming from their country's leader, and it was to the end that when the time came for conscription into the army, there were actual uh, Mennonites who joined the Nazi army and the, the paramilitary SS group that has notoriety. There were Mennonites in that. And it's a very sad story. We don't like to think about that. But my mind went to the praise that they were given and what that did to them the compromise that it led to. I, I just had to make that connection. Woe to you when all men shall speak well of you. What does it do to us? So all these woes speak to, of people who are well off in the world, but forgetting about the world to come. They're distracted. They're all into that monopoly game, and they're doing well at things that don't really matter in the long run, and missing what should be the focus. So we should take heed and beware. If we're well off in the world, beware. It can take our eyes off the true focus. And the poor and needy can easier keep their eyes on the kingdom of heaven. And in so doing, it's a blessing. It's an advantage. So in conclusion, I want to bring this back to the Lordship of Jesus. If we call Jesus Lord, are we able to agree with what he says is blessed and what isn't? He's laying out a different value system for us to live by. He's telling us what's important and advantageous, and it's totally different from the world. Can we agree with Jesus when he gives us these values? And, and it's hard, I admit, for myself, it, it's hard to understand and you know we, li we live life and, and try to, to blend all this and, and it can be just paradoxical. But can we agree with Jesus? Is Jesus truly Lord? Are we following 
Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what you have shown to us in your word. Thank you for Jesus and the teachings that he gave. I pray that we would just be able to take it to heart. And as we call you Lord, I pray that we would be able to agree with you and these things that seem so backwards to us. Help us to trust in your wisdom and goodness. I pray that you would guide us as we go about our week. Help us to to live out what we believe and to truly live with you as Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.